Amen. Amen. Wasn't that amazing worship? Aren't we so blessed? Thank you, Devin and gang. We are so blessed to have people with such great hearts lead us in worship and to, to have an awesome church like this where we get to gather together and look at God's word and the freedoms we have to do that. Um, I am thankful this week as I look ahead at Thanksgiving, but um, before we get into all that, uh, good morning and welcome to church. My name is Justin. If I haven't met you before, I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege on these third Sundays of leading us through the scriptures. Uh, we are in a series entitled Verses for Life. And these are key verses, which I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm drinking from a fire hose when we get into these scriptures. It's just so deep, and, and some of the greatest scriptures in all the, in all the Bible we've taken, and we've kind of put them in such a way that we hope you can begin to memorize them, really integrate them into your life in a deeper way. Um, and this morning, the scripture I've chosen, I kind of, I call the message a tune-up for life. Because it's one of those verses that I look at as a life tune-up. I need to go to this regularly, and I need to remind myself of this all the time. You know, tune-ups or maintenance are important for anything valuable in life. I mean, I grew up as a kind of young, naive kid who, when I got my first two vehicles, I blew up the engines in each of those. Because I didn't think anything of those, those we call them idiot lights on the dashboard, you know, when your light goes on. And I'm the definition of why they're called idiot lights, because I just ignored them. At one point, I had a friend who told me, hey, one of my second car was a, a Toyota Corolla. And he goes, man, Toyotas run forever. You don't need to do anything. And so I, I took him literally at that. I never took it in for an oil change. I never, you know, and he's another 16-year-old kid. So what ad advice and knowledge does he have about mechanics? None. And lo and behold, about a year later, I loaded up about 10 of my friends to go to a concert. And this is like a little five-seater car. So we're all just packed in this thing like, like a clown car. And we're heading down the road to, you know, the old amphitheater out here, the Verizon Amphitheater, and the engine blows up. And my friend looked at me and goes, I guess they don't last forever, huh? And I thought, yeah, we just left it on the side of the road. It hitchhiked to the concert, and, and we were there. But um, in some sense, if you neglect that light, if you neglect the maintenance in life, you know, that, that leak in the pipe, that knock in the air conditioner unit, um, it's, it's almost always going to go out at the most inopportune time, right? You're on vacation and you find out your house is flooded, or it's a 120 degree day in the summer and your air conditioning goes out, or you're on the way to a great concert and your car blows up. And that's kind of the way it goes when you neglect maintenance. And I bring that up because we're kind of running into one of those times of years where I think we all need a little maintenance, right? As we go into the holiday season, I, I know it's supposed to be the hap happiest time of the year, right? But in reality, it's also one of the most stressful times of the year. There are so many burdens and so many things to take care of. We're all stressing to get things done by the end of the year. We're all worried about, you know, the, the meals you've got to prepare and the family coming over and you're stuck in traffic and you go on and on and on. And you can begin to kind of find yourself with what I call those check engine lights coming on. You find yourself a little grumpy, a little grouchy, wanting to be alone, not wanting to see anyone else. I know Santa got it right, right? See people only one time of the year. But, you know, in some sense, it's kind of what you begin to feel like, you know, as you go into this time of the year. It's like, oh, man. And, and I, I, I picked the verse for this morning. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. I picked because this is a verse that, at least for me, this is, this is maintenance. I need to be looking at this regularly and reminding myself of this all the time. This is a tune-up for life that I think we all need, especially during the stressful and burdensome times of the year. And 1 Thessalonians is an amazing book. Paul writes to a church, and they're actually doing pretty well. They've gone through a lot of, 
difficult things and tribulations, but they are, as a church, someone he brags about. In the first chapter, he says, your faith is known throughout all of Macedonia. It's like, you are a church that other people are talking about. You're getting things right. And he has to correct a few things as he talks to them, but their faith was pretty good, but he knew. He knew the dangers of people who, as they're living in the last days, waiting for Jesus to return, can begin to kind of get worn down in their faith. And so he hits chapter 5, where we're going to be, and he begins to kind of encourage them. The beginning of the chapter is about, you are people of light rather than darkness. And he, he begins to kind of talk to them as people of light, as a church, as God's people in this world. How do you look? How do you shine as God's people? And he, you know, gives them a number of different things that he commends them to do and to be. But in verses 16 through 18, he narrows down three things and he goes, hey, you want to know what you really should be like? You want to know what God really wants you to focus on? I want you to focus on these three things. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 say, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, verse 17, and and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I love that. He goes, stop, slow down. I know life is busy. I want you to know that you're to be people who rejoice always. I want you to know that you're to be people who are praying all the time. And you're supposed to be thankful, non-grumpy people. For, and this is so special, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It's pretty special, right? I mean, I, we talk to, as pastors, we talk to a lot of people that are looking for God's will. God, what should I do? Should I go left? Should I go right? Should I marry this person? Should I, you know, how do I raise my kids? What do I do at work? And we've got all these questions rolling around in our heads all the time. It's almost one of greatest, uh, mankind's greatest things that they're seeking is what is God's will? What are the commandments? What does he want us to do? Well, in some sense, Paul goes, I know there's a lot of things God wants you to do. To go to church, read your Bibles, do a lot of stuff. But for Paul, he kind of stripped it back and he said, look, look under the hood real quick and know this. You could do a lot of different things that God wants you to do in life, but they don't really matter if you're doing them with the wrong heart. If you're going to church and you're a bitter, grumpy person, if you're serving the Lord and you're doing it because you have to and you're, you're, you're down and it's like if you're, if you're worshiping but you're really criticizing the song, he's like, there are a lot of things we can look at and say, this is what God wants us to do. But he goes, look, before we get to those things, you, you got to know that God wants you to be something more than he wants you to do something. And he wants you to be people that have your hearts right with him. He wants you to be people that are on the right side of life because it almost doesn't matter all the other things you do. If you're doing them wrong, God goes, man, it doesn't matter that you go to church or you give or you do this and you've got the wrong heart, man, you're misrepresenting me. Don't tell people you're a Christian. You know, it's like in some sense, it's like Paul scales it back and he goes, look, this is God's will for your life. And he lays out three things that are, that are super important. But before we get into them, I just, this is something that I just, as I was reading it this morning and going through it, I, I saw on a new level, it was like these three things, rejoicing always or finding ways to be happy. Praying without ceasing or talking to the Lord all the time and giving thanks for everything. These three things are things that if you kind of look at it from the outside in, especially if you're a parent in here or have been a parent, aren't these the three types of things that you want most for your kids in life? If your parents, if you had good parents, this is what they wanted for you. If you're a parent or grandparent, this is what you want for your kids. I mean, I scaled it back as a dad and I looked at it and I'm like, look, he just wants 
as Paul's talking to us, he just wants us to find ways to be happy. He wants us to find ways to be in relationship with him. And he wants us to not be selfish or to be thankful and grateful in life. And it's a sense where Paul is saying, look, these three things, I know they're seemingly random and different, but as we get into each and every one, I want you to understand these are three relational things that God wants for you in your life that they come from the heart of him being a loving father. They come from the heart of him not being this distant God who looks down on you and says, look, I I don't care what goes on in your life. It comes from the heart of a God who goes, I want the best for you in your life. So I need you to pay attention. I've got a tune-up for you. I've got three things I want you to pay attention to. And the first one, he says, is rejoice always. I love that. As he looks at us and he goes, here's the right attitude for life. Rejoice always. It almost seems too simplistic, right? Paul narrows it down. This is, by the way, the shortest verse in the original language in the entire Bible. Rejoice always. In in the Greek, it's the shortest verse in the Bible. And Paul goes, it's it's not not an easy topic. Be happy. Rejoice. This simple command, that that word there to, to rejoice, it means to be glad or cheerful. It was a word that they would use when they greeted each other. They would say, hi. It's like, imagine you haven't seen someone that you really, ha- you really love and care for, and you haven't seen him for a while. What's the first thing you say? You're like, I am so happy to see you. I am so glad. I am so blessed. I am so... And you, you have that feeling deep down where that just seeing that person brings you this joy, this momentary greeting, this momentary happiness. You're like, ooh, it's changed my mood. And in some sense, that's what Paul is talking about when he says, look, I want you to to find this side of life that, that man, you're, you're making this choice to be happy. You're making this choice to be glad or, or to be cheerful. And he goes, this is what God wants for you. And there's some people that this is a really hard thing to understand. This is a really difficult thing to get, right? There's a lot of people, and I think we fall prey to this too sometimes, but there's a lot of people that, that they look at life and they go, it's difficult. Life is painful. There's all the hard things that we face, and they're like, you know, surely God's will is not for me to be happy. Or there's even some people who are like, God doesn't even exist because of that. Right? I was reading an, an article lately in the news about this one, this one woman who is just f- finishing up her professional soccer career, and she was in the news because six minutes into her final game of her career, the championship game she was playing in, six minutes into the game, she tore her Achilles tendon. And it's kind of like the recurring theme in sports right now. Everybody's tearing their Achilles. But she tears her Achilles tendon. And after the game, she has this interview on national TV, you know, this big farewell interview. And she, she laughs and she goes, I've never been much of a relig- religious person. But this was proof that God doesn't exist. <laughs> and it kind, of, it kind of makes you laugh. It kind of makes you just want to, want to point fingers at her. But at the same time, I kind of caught myself going, you know what? It's a pretty shallow view of God. It's a pretty shallow view of happiness as well. But I think there's times in our lives where we might not go to that extreme, but we're definitely feeling that way about God. We're definitely thinking, Lord, why is this happening? I can't be happy. If I'm not happy, then you're disappointed with me. If I'm not happy, then you're not real. If I'm not happy, if things aren't going my way, if this isn't working out the way I thought it would, should go, then surely you can't be the God you say you are. I laughed at her, but then at the same time, I felt bad for her because, man, it's a real shallow way of viewing happiness. You see, that misunderstanding about happiness, 
it's, it misses the real nature of what happiness, where happiness comes from. See, at the end of the day, and Paul, Paul writes this, and he gives us the shortest verse in the Bible, rejoice always, because for him, happiness wasn't the system he needed to elaborate and spell out for us. It wasn't this great you know, book you needed to buy and, and find your 10 steps to happiness. It was like for Paul, this all boiled down to the fact that happiness in life was a choice you have to make. A choice that you were going to make to rejoice, to be happy, to say, you know what? I know there are bad things. I know there are difficult things in life. And I know it's not shallow and easy to just say, I'm going to be happy even in the midst of those. It doesn't mean you're not going to hurt. It doesn't mean you're not going to acknowledge difficult things. It doesn't mean that you're not going to, you know, as other verses say, mourn with those who mourn. That Jesus was a man of suffering, acquainted with our grief and sorrows. It was like, there is this side of life where you definitely are going to hurt. You definitely are going to deal with things. But in the midst of that, Paul would say, look, your overarching choice in life is you need to choose to find ways to be happy. That is what God wants for you. Right? When we think that we're only going to be happy because God does things our way, you know, I'll be happy if I get to go on that vacation. I'll be happy if that guy or that girl likes me back the way I like them. I'll be happy if my money problems go away. I'll be happy if God fixes this relationship problem. And, and we kind of live with that type, of or that type of expectation that my happiness will come when these problems get fixed. Then you kind of set yourself up for failure to start. You set yourself up for grouchiness and bitterness and resentment to, to begin. Because the fact of the matter for every single one of us is that no matter who we are, no matter where we are, life is never going to go as we expect it to go. There are always, where we live in a sinful, fallen world, and we are sinful, fallen beings, there are always going to be things that happen that are not according to your plan and your wants and your wishes and your desires. I mean, think of just a simple thing like Thanksgiving, right? A day we set aside to be thankful, to gather with people we hopefully love and, and enjoy being around sometimes, right? But what do we turn it into? It turns into this giant feast where everybody's got to cook and you're spending, you know, I think the average was like six plus hours of preparation time for a Thanksgiving turkey and meal and all that. It's like we devote half a day to that and then there's all the chores and the cleaning and the getting of the house ready. And then there's crazy uncle who's got politics on his mind. He's got to talk about those. And then there's the kids who want to watch a movie instead of football. It's like we, we go on down the list and all of a sudden this day that was dedicated towards just being happy, grateful people. <laughs> turns into this stressful, you know, antics of, of, of putting on a giant feast, of making everyone happy. And in some sense, does happiness, you know, is happiness not available to us on Thanksgiving? No, think, for most of us, if you're going to be happy on Thanksgiving, you're going to have to make an active choice to go, you know what, okay, I'm going to ignore him and his political rant you know what, I'm going to ignore the fact that they were late and they forgot to bring dessert, you know. You know what, I'm going to ignore. And you've you got to ignore a few things and you've got to say, you know what, I'm going to choose to go on this side of things. I'm going to look at the best of things. Because God, there's something bigger than my wants and my needs and the way I think things should go. You see, you're always going to be let down. You're never going to find happiness if things have to live up to your expectations. If you want to look at it another way, there are people in this world who have everything you wish you had, and they are none the happier for it. And there are people who have absolutely nothing who are happy. 
What's the difference? The difference is a choice. The difference is not living in that what and if type of mentality that says, what happens, uh, what if I had that? If, if, if God did this, then I'll be happy. No, the difference is a choice that you actively make to say, you know what, I'm going to choose to fall on the happy side of things, even when they're difficult, even when they don't go my way. I think in the end, this is what this world really, truly needs. I know we would think, like, if God was to come down and tell us to do and to be, he would pick all these things. You need to be more religious. You need to do this. But God looks at us and he goes, look, you want to get my word out? You want people to, to actually want what you're doing? I want people that enjoy life. I want people that look at things and say, you know what? I'm going to smile. I'm going to laugh. I mean, I can get so caught up in things. I can get so busy with work and with problems that, like, you know, I have a, a great group of people around me that send me funny memes all the time, including my wife. And it's like, I don't know if you ever get those and you just don't pay attention to them. But it's like God looks at you and he goes, no, slow down and laugh. I mean, if it's not over the line, but like slow down and let yourself laugh at things. God wants you to be a person that's not so wound up, so tight that you can't enjoy life. Slow down and do things that bring joy. Go for a drive at the beach if you need to. Go for a walk on your own. Go to the mountains if you need to. God looks at you and he goes, look, this is my will for your life that you would find ways to slow down and look at things that bring joy and rejoicing in your life, and you would actively do them. Find ways to bless others and, and invite someone to a meal. Watch a football game together. I don't know what it is, but, but actively go out and do something that you're saying, you know what, I am going to find joy. And there are a trillion things you can do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to narrow it down to just one of the absolute simplest you can do, and we've done this, we did this a few years ago, but we'll do it again. Scientists have found that, that smiling is the most basic, basic of things that you can do that will absolutely change. Even a fake smile, even a fake smile, the phony fake smile. One, one scientist wrote that, let me write it here, read it to you here. Um, he said that even forcing a fake smile can legitimately reduce stress, lower your heart rate, and strengthen your immune system. Right, so fake smiling. On the count of three, I'm going to have you turn to someone around you. It doesn't matter. It could be the fakest of smiles. I don't care. Just don't scowl at them. On the count of three, you're going to turn it. If you want to up this on another level for your health benefits, laugh at them too. Just laugh. Okay, on the count of three, I want you to turn to someone and just smile. One, two, three. <laughs> All right, don't laugh too hard at them. <laughs> but look. God looks at that, and you go, I know, we're, we're going to church. It should be more spiritual. It should be more serious. No, God looks at you, and he goes, you want to know what my will is? That you would rejoice. Find things that bring out joy and make you glad and cheerful. Don't you feel better? It's like, man, if that is our approach to how we do things, God goes, look, you're doing it the right way. If that is your approach to how you walk into these doors at church and you say, you know what, I'm going to find ways to be happy. I'm not going to pick apart the, you know, the thermostat. I'm not going to pick apart the worship. I'm not going to pick apart the message. I'm here to bring joy. I'm going to work today. I'm not going to pick apart my boss, even though he didn't recognize me. I'm not going to, you know, and you could go down all these things and say, you know what, now we're looking down and we're negative about work. We're negative about church. We're negative about all these things. And those are the warning lights that should go on where God says, look, it's not how I want you to be. That's not the type of people you were to be if you're my people. You're supposed to be people with smiles, rejoicing in things, not tearing them down. And so as Paul kind of starts laying this out here, he, he makes it real simple. Rejoice always. 
Find ways constantly throughout your day. I would encourage you, make a list of things that make you happy. I know it sounds selfish to me, but just do a list. It's God's will for your life of things that make you happy and find a way to do one of those things today. It might be blessing another person. It might be, you know, writing a text message to someone that's encouraging. But whatever it is, it might be going down and watching the sunset. Find a way to do something that makes you happy. And God says, look, you're on track. That happy type of person is the person I'm looking for in my church as he's talking to these people as they were to be people of light. And kind of that, that thought, that idea of not being selfish and making it all about yourself kind of ties over and into the next thought he brings up here in verse 17. As he now says, look, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now, when I hear that, I go, okay, here we go. Now we got to the spiritual thing. The deep spirit. It's almost daunting, right, isn't it? You hear that and you're like, I'm supposed to pray without stopping like all the time? I can hardly pray for five minutes before I'm thinking of Chick-fil-A and, you know, what I'm going to do, who's going to win the Dolphins game. And, you know, it's like my brain's just jumping around and going, what, what you know, how's my fantasy football team doing? It's like, it's, it's, it's so easy to, to just go pray without ceasing. That's like, that's only for the super spiritual people. But in reality, Paul means, yes, you're supposed to be praying all the time. But the word he uses there for without ceasing it's a word that, that for them, they would use it of, of recurring things. Some of the ancient literature and Greek literature, they would use it of armies that went out to an attack a city. And as they attacked it the first time, it didn't work out. So they went back and they attacked it again and again and again. It was like, and they finally broke them down. It was used, and a bunch of different people used it of a cough. And, and I like this the most when I think of this. A cough, like when you're sick and you have this cough. And you say, I've got this nagging cough. It doesn't mean that you're coughing 24-7 and you can't breathe, you can't talk to anyone else, you can't do anything else, right? But when you have a cough and you're sick, you know how it is, right? It's like you cough, <coughs> clear yourself, a few minutes later that tickle comes back, right? That, that snot and mucus builds up and there it is again, <coughs> you know, and you hack it all up again. And in some sense, Paul's like, yeah, hack it up to the Lord. Like, here you go. You've got it, it's going to come back and just make this this recurring thing in your life. Where you're going, you know what, I wake up in the morning, before my feet hit the ground, Lord, I'm thankful for this or that. Lord, I recognize this in my, Lord, I've got a big day, here it is. And you go on and you might have some dedicated prayer time, you know, to think about Chick-fil-A and the sports games for the day, you know. But that dedicated prayer time, we're actually going to devote longer time. And then you might have, you know, your lunch break. And then you might have this problem, somebody who calls you and says, hey, you know, I'm, I've got, I'm sick or I've got this problem, I've got this thing. And, and what Paul is saying is make it a habit in your life to regularly go to God in those moments. To use them all as triggers in your life to say, you know what, Lord, here I am. Prayer is simply an act of you bringing your request to God and you bringing your adoration, your worship, your praise to him as well. The times where you acknowledge who he is and who you are. And as you go to God, it's like he's looking at you and he's saying, look, I want to hear. I want to hear from you. Always. Continually. Like I said, it's like, it's this aspect of a relationship that's so important. And one of the, one of the crazy things to me about prayer, one of the wildest things is that prayer is actually something that God looks at and he says, that truly matters to me. It changes what I'm going to do in this world. 
I know that's kind of a, a, a unique concept, and I don't know where it lands on, on whether God knew beforehand what you were going to ask for, and so that was already his will, or God was going to do one thing, and then you prayed, and he did another. I don't know. I can't work all that out. That's way too far for me to understand how God acts in that way, but I can tell you this. Your prayers matter to him. That little prayer you prayed, you know, when Pastor Jerry was leading us, um, you know, in, in the scripture reading, and then we did the, the prayer afterwards, and maybe you were just locked out in the hallway there, you know, in the shame room because you came late, and so you had to wait, and so you did the prayer out there. Look, God heard your prayer, and that mattered to him as you were waiting in that lobby. Even if it didn't matter that much to you, God heard it, and he was like, man, I'm going to do something in life. I'm going to change things. God heard your prayer when you asked for that person who was on the side of the road who had a broken down car and you were like, you know what, Lord, bless them. Keep them safe. God heard your prayer when you asked them about your kids. God heard your prayer when you asked them about your grandkids, when you asked them about your neighbor. When you, you brought that to the Lord, he goes, look, that in the end, I might not do everything you want. You're not commanding me around. <laughs> I know what's best, but your prayers matter. And I value those. See, at the end, I think as much as, well, James says, you have not because you ask not, as much as prayer was meant to be something that God wants to move and do things in our lives, prayer also matters to God because it's this part of a personal relationship with him. You know, it's this aspect of coming to him where he, you can recognize now that he's with you in your daily life, where you're not trying to do things on your own, forgetting about him. You know, for me, I, I kind of, like I said earlier, this, this passage lends itself to, to understanding God as this loving parent who looks down at us and says, look, I want what's best for you. I want you to be happy. And I want you to be in touch and in relationship with me, prayer. And I want you to be grateful people. We'll get to that in just a moment. But that aspect of a, of a loving parent who, who enjoys having a relationship with their kid is so important. I, I think for me, I, I, I grew up, my parents split when I was like around 10 or so. And they had a kind of messy divorce, and so I lost contact with my dad. And I look back at that period of my life, and I'm like, you know, if I could go back, and I, if I could say I missed one thing out of all the things I didn't have, you know, if you've had a parent who's not around, you might feel the same way. But if I could go back and I could change and have one thing there that I didn't have, it wasn't that I would have a dad who was super mechanical and taught me to be manly like that, you know. It wasn't that I had a dad who would teach me to hunt or do all, you know, wrestle with me. It was... It was simply this, that, and I see it now as a dad with my kids. I'm like, the most important thing that I could have had at that time, and I think the most important thing that any parent can provide, is a personal relationship with your kid. Where a kid can feel like, you know what, dad, hey, I'm struggling with this. Okay, tell me about it. You know what, dad, hey, I need this help. I need advice for that in my life. And, and a good parent, a good mom, a good dad will be there for you. And you'll feel that. And in some sense, what Paul is saying here is, look, God is a loving parent who looks at you and he goes, man, talk to me. Pray, I'm there with you. What you ask for matters to me. When you bring that praise and adoration to me, it, it's the greatest thing I could want for your life because now you're in a personal relationship with me. And life is really lonely if you try and do it all alone. Life is really lonely if you're just out there going, you know what, I don't need to ask God for anything. I'll just make it happen on my own. I'll just do this, put my head down and work harder, get busier, do more. And Paul goes, look, it's not the type of people we're supposed to be. A type of selfish living is going to leave you wanting and missing a real relationship with God. 
So praying without ceasing is this call for each and every one of us to go to the Lord and say, you know what, God, all throughout my day, I need to remember that you're my Father in heaven. You're the one that gives in my life. You're the one that takes away. You're the one that all this belongs to. So, so I want to have a close personal relationship with you. And so as he's getting through this type of unselfish living, this type of living that takes our eyes off of ourself and says, you know what, Lord, we're going to put them on what you're doing, the rejoicing in life. We're going to, we're going to talk to you constantly, praying without ceasing or recurringly throughout our day. He gets to the final thing, the ultimate, I think, stab in the heart of selfishness. And he says, in everything, give thanks. He wraps it up for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I love that. In everything, give thanks. You know, giving thanks is one of those things that it's the ultimate opposite of selfishness. Selfishness says everything I've done, I deserve and belongs to me. Selfishness says everything, you know, God should do things my way. Everything should work out the way I want. But thankfulness comes along and kind of interjects and says, you know what, Lord, I'm going to look at the bigger picture here. There are things that, yeah, maybe might not work out the way I want. There are things that maybe I don't understand fully right now in my life. But I can choose to focus on the things that you do give and that you have blessed me with rather than the things that my own will and selfish desires want. And it interjects a type of, the or it, it intercepts a type of thinking that focuses on negative things. You know, they've done studies and they found that approximately every day you have upwards of around 60,000 thoughts per day. 60,000 is a lot. So some of us maybe on 10,000, I don't know, but there's a range in there. But like 60,000 thoughts on an active day for most of us. And they found that on average, 75 to 80% of those thoughts are negative thoughts. That's right. Your brain is in some sense hardwired to kind of lean towards negativity. They call it a negativity bias, but it's this sense where your brain focuses on negative things because in a fight or flight situation, in a struggle to live, you are focusing on all the negative and how to stay away from that. But that carries over into the way we live today, and it's like a lot of us are focusing on things that are probably never going to happen, worries and anxieties and stresses that are never going to, we're going to never see those fulfilled, but our brains can't help but, but focus on those. And in some sense, that leads to a negativity a grouchiness, a disgruntledness in life, feeling like things aren't going to work out. And what thankfulness does is thankfulness comes along and it says, look, I am not going to focus on my own fears, my own worries, my own problems, but I'm going to stop and I'm going to give thanks for what I do have in my life. I'm going to give stop and I'm going to focus on the things that have gone well instead of the things that are going bad. And they found that in thankful people, study after study has found that they, uh, they found that people who are feeling thankful will have better sleep, a better mood, a better immune system, that gratitude decreases depression, anxiety, difficulties with chronic pain, and the risk of heart disease. It's like all those things are lined up because you found a different way to look at the things in life that your brain is naturally going to go, oof, that's not going to work out. Oof, that's not good. It didn't go your way. Oof, you should worry about that. Oof, you should care about, you know. And it's like thankfulness stops and just says, you know what, Lord? What has gone well? What is right? It's this, it's this, this type of thinking that says, God, you have so much 
you know, bless me, if you kind of get yourself out of the way and you begin to look at life around you, you will begin to see that there are millions of amazing things that had to happen to get you to where you are in life. I mean, I realized this just the other day, or actually yesterday. I woke up in the morning, and I, was, I woke up early. It was like, you ever wake up and your mind's just racing? And I knew, okay, that's a sign that I'm stressed. And I was like, okay, I gotta teach tomorrow. I gotta make sure I get my message down. I've got, I've got kids, we've got holidays, we've got all these kinds of things, sports schedules going on. We had suck. And so I, I just thought to myself, you know what? I'm up super early. The sun's barely rising right now. I'm gonna go for a run. I, I, I've got a little three-mile course that I've been wanting to run around my house, but I've had a, I've had a calf injury. You know, I'm getting older, and, and so these injuries keep popping up that I haven't been able to run for a while, but I woke up feeling good, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to go for a run. Here we go. And so I stretched out, feel great, put my mu- headphones on, my music, and I knew this is what I'm going to do to blow off steam, to feel like, here I am, I'm good. And I, 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 I kid you not, I go to take like my first step of the run, and my calf goes, Bang. It's like, like it's like a knife right in the middle. I, I wanted to be like like that girl in the news and be like, God, you're not real, you know? Like I was just like, oh man, it was like there is the knife in my calf, and I'm I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go for this stupid walk now, you know? And so if you saw a guy yesterday morning at around sunrise, like hobbling down El Toro Parkway, that was me. And and I'm hobbling and I'm like, you know, I was so grouchy because I'm like, I've got all these stresses and worries and now I've got this stupid pain that won't go away and I'm grumbling to the Lord and, and that was when this verse came to mind. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God. It's almost annoying, you know, when you hear it in that sense, you're like, I don't, I don't want to give thanks right now. And I feel like the Lord was like, you know what, give thanks. And so I was like, well, I'm thankful I can walk. I guess some people can't do that as I'm hobbling down the street, you know. And I feel like the Lord was like, keep going and everything. And I was like, well, I look up and the sun was rising. And it was a beautiful sunrise. It was like pink and purple. The clouds were still out from the storm the day before. And it was just as, I was like, I guess I'm thankful for the sunrise, Lord. It's beautiful. Like, it's nice. It's, and, and, and as I kept going, I kept walking. Yes, my leg hurt the whole time. But I was like, one after the next, I started looking around at life, around me of the millions of things that were going on around me that I hadn't slowed down to look at. I was like, man, Lord, okay, there are three veterinarians in this little three-mile loop, so I'm thankful that whatever animals are out there that are in sick and need, are, they have a hospital to go to, you know? I passed two grocery stores, and I'm like, gosh, thank you, Lord. I don't have to go hunt and gather and, you know, farm. I passed, you know, I passed police officers. They were getting their coffee, but nonetheless, I was like, I'm thankful that these guys are here to protect me and I have safety. I walk by the fire station, and I'm like, there are men and women in there who day and night are sleeping and on the call for when I do something stupid, and they've got to come to my house and put out a fire, or, you know, get, and I began to kind of just look around at life and go, wow, there are a trillion things going on, Lord, that if my eyes are on my dumb little calf and my little problem, I don't see life all around me, and I don't realize what you have done, what you have given, how you have blessed, and I was like, look at the trees and look at nature. I've got, a, I've got a home to go home to. I've got family. And it was like, before I knew it, I was home. And that dumb little pain in my leg, it was still there. It didn't go away. But I realized as I, as I got home, I was like, I got home and all those stresses and all those worries and all those pressures that I had had that I thought I could just run away, for, away with, run away and get away from them. In reality, the greatest thing for all of those things was to stop to look around at life and to say, you know what, God? Whoa, 
I'm thankful for what you have done. Because that's ultimately what thankfulness does for us, is it takes our eyes off our own problems and stresses and pressures, and it puts them on what God has done, and it reassures us that God is working, that God is good, that life continues to go on, and he continues to bless, and he will continue to be there in his own special way. And, and, I, and I, I kid you not, even though my leg hurt, I forgot about the pain for a while. And I think that's why it's such an important call for us to give thanks in everything. I mean, between now and Thanksgiving, which is a great day, I, I love that holiday dedicated to just that, but between now and then, you've got about 200,000 negative thoughts about to build up. 200,000. What if you started intercepting those with every time you get bothered at someone, every time you're ready to honk in traffic, Every time you're ready to just complain about something, every time you're frustrated at how your team does in sports, every time, whatever, you would stop and you just go, you know what, before I get into that, I'm going to give thanks. Before I get into that, I'm going to appreciate you and be grateful, Lord, for what I do have. I think it would greatly, amazingly change the type of people we are, the way we look at life. And Paul, as he as he kind of slows us down here, what Paul is saying to the Thessalonian church is, look, you can get real busy. You can get real overwhelmed with life. But there should be some warning lights that go on that, that draw you back to how God truly wants you to be in this world. Learn to be people that choose to find joy. Learn to be people that don't have to have everything go their way in life to be happy. He goes, you will rejoice. Learn to be people that talk to your Father, that don't try and do life on your own, that come to the Lord and say, you know what, God, you have done so much for me. I just want to talk to you throughout my day. And he says, learn to be people who are thankful for everything, who focus more on what God has done for them than what they haven't had done according to their own wills. And he goes, if you do that, you're living in God's will. There's no greater place you could be. All the rest of the decisions and things you need to do in life, they're going to fall into place. You're going to figure it all out. But let's pay attention during this holiday season. Let's pay attention over the next few weeks to those times, those moments where those check engine lights do come on. And let's slow ourselves down and remind ourselves to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks for everything. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so very much that you are a God who truly cares not just us about, about us doing the right things in life, about something deeper than that for each and every one of us. You care about us being the right type of people, having the right type of heart, reflecting the type of God you are. And God, to be able to look at you as our Father, our loving Father, who so cares for us that he would give his only begotten Son for us, Lord, there is nothing greater that we can be thankful for or find joy over or a relationship with you over than that. Help us to, to focus on that. Help us to keep our eyes on that as we go through this holiday season, as we become people who reflect light and goodness in this world. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you guys